When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and others on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie. And wow, thank you for being here for another episode. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun one. I know. Well, I'm really excited. When you when Stani first brought up the topic idea, I was like, "Yeah, sure, let's go for it." And I was like, kind of like worried it was going to be a boring episode to be honest. I mean, I guess we haven't technically finished the rest of the episodes. We're at the beginning here, so, <laughs> so who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be boring. <laughs> but as far as research goes, I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's like so much here to like like excited about but like also like frustrated about that I'm like okay this is not a boring topic this is actually like a really cool like part of art that I like had never really thought about much agreed yeah it was kind of like an offhand thing that I was like oh like I know there's a lot about this Mm -hmm. um because when I was doing my final project on female graphic designers my teacher actually suggested I do female weavers because he was like, well, they were kind of the original graphic designers. And I was like, no, I'm actually going to do like the graphic designers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I remember learning off and on about a lot of the women in textile design throughout my art history education. And there are a lot. And I don't think we talk about this whole little sector of art and art history as much as it impacted everything yeah it's really interesting there was like tons of research and just to kind of like briefly just mention what we are doing today today we're kind of mainly talking about like the concepts of like women in textile art and like mm-hmm. kind of like the overarching like themes of it we'll mention a little bit like specific women in these fields but that's going to be a later episode don't know mm-hmm. when exactly but we'll t- we'll break down yeah the more individual artists here in future episodes but we realized that if we did both this was going to be a two-hour episode and we we can't do that we're gonna we gotta keep a little shorter than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah if we were to go into every single influential woman in textile design we would be here for a really long time so (laughs) (laughs) we're just gonna do the background but um yeah like Sadie said, you can expect a few names and I would highly recommend if any of this interests you to like go research a lot of it on your own. Yeah. Because there's a ton, like there's tons of books and essays and articles and YouTube videos. So there's definitely a lot out there for you to look through. Definitely. Well, should we jump in or is there anything going on that you feel like is noteworthy to mention? Whether that be in, I don't know, any art you're consuming or in your life? Um, I got some cool new books that I'm really excited about. One of them is actually, like, really awesome. (laughs) 
like very very thrilled i posted about it on my instagram story oh yeah i remember it is called extra bold a feminist inclusive anti-racist non-baron non-binary field guide for graphic designers and um i actually got an email when it came out because one of the like the main author whose idea it was and that like compiled it was one of the women who was gonna go in my book i actually i had to cut out a lot of people and the reason she got cut out is because she's done a lot more writing on graphic design rather than work Mm. so it was a lot harder to like display that in the same way but her name's ellen lupton and she's done a ton but the reason I'm so obsessed with it is it goes through each thing and kind of explains it. So it like explains feminism, it explains systematic racism, it explains like mansplaining, and there's like a little mansplaining chart and like oh. talks about Did you put people. that one on your Instagram story? I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was funny. <laughs> and then it relays it all back to like how that works in design and like essentially how you can create design that fits with like the way that the world is moving. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool and it's like very well done, very well illustrated. It's like actually really cute. <laughs> so excited about that one and then I have another one that I just got today that I haven't had a chance to look through that I bought because of the title. It's called Not a Muse. Oh, hey. And it's a new perspective on women graphic designers in Europe. Oh, cool. So I think for the most part, it's just a lot of their work. And then it talks a little bit about different people. But it's like a total coffee table book. But I'm already obsessed and excited to read through it more. So That's so exciting. Yes. I spend all my extra money on books that I have a hard time getting around to actually sitting down and reading. Um, That's a very relatable problem where there's like so many (laughs) books I've purchased and I'm like, hmm, probably time to sit down and read those. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, if anyone wants to read more about female graphic designers, there's those. I might have to do a TikTok because I have so many. Yeah. So watch out for that. But that's kind of all. I don't know that's been going on with me other than work what about you well as far as art that i've been consuming that i really like i oh 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 yes today i so marina from marina and the diamonds but she's just marina Ah, love her she released a new music video today and it's so cool i watched it i can't remember what it called right now ah what is it? isn't it called like venus flytrap or something yeah mm -hmm. venus flytrap it's quite cool it's a very cool music video. I saw it, but I haven't been able to like sit down and watch it. Yes. I of everything. I saw it because I follow her on Instagram. So I saw her like share it on her Instagram stories. And then I went mm-hmm. and watched it. It's so cool. The vibes are just perfect. Immaculate. She's to be awesome. honest. <laughs> uh, all of her music. Just phenomenal. It really is. Let me think. Who have I been listening to lately that I've been really liking? soccer mommy do you ever listen to soccer mommy Uh uh-uh i haven't even heard of that okay she's very good she's like more of like an indie acoustic type artist my husband has been really sick lately with a sinus infection and so i've just kind of you know i kind of chill by myself when he's just sick so the other like day i was like up until like 3 a.m just like listening to soccer mommy and i just did you know like one of those like well i don't do this often enough like a free write type thing where I was like I feel like I'm in my feelings so I just like wrote like typed and typed and typed all my feelings and like you know like three and a half pages and I was like listening to soccer mommy and I was like that that was it was very therapeutic so I love that if anyone is in their feelings feel like they got a lot to vent about 
Turn on Soccer Mommy. Any album will do. There is Color Theory and Clean. I listen to both of them. There might be other albums, but those are the two I'm familiar with. And that's awesome. Yeah, write about your feelings. Get out any anger you might have, and you're gonna you're gonna sleep much peacefully that night. I promise. It was nice. great. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's stuff I've been listening to and liking lately. So we love music. We love women in music. Oh, and a little reminder that if you want to join us for a bonus episode at the end of the month, we're reading the book Fangirls by Hannah Ewens this month. And then we're going to have a bonus episode at the end of the month talking about it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to join us in reading that, then um, be sure to buy that and get started. I don't think it's an incredibly long book. No, and it's it's very entertaining, too. I've been reading mm -hmm. through it and I'm like thoroughly enjoying myself. Definitely. So, yeah, I think... All of you will really like it. Yes. So, yeah. Also, another thing that we've decided to start is a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Haven't shouted that out on the podcast yet. Promise to not be annoying. We won't spam you. But basically, once a month, we'll just send out a little newsletter. Of course, just more from us, more rantings and things like that. But mm-hmm. it will be just blog post type style. And yeah. if you sign up for our newsletter, originally we recorded an episode that was going to be on Patreon, but... We never really invested in that or did anything with the Patreon idea. But we did record one episode for it, which was a um, maybe passive aggressive rant on my end. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun to record. So if you want Mm -hmm. that, if you're interested in listening to that, you can just sign up for our newsletter and we'll send that to you. Yeah. So if you want an extra bonus episode, want to hear more about women in the arts doing cool things, sign up Mm -hmm. for that just at the link in our Instagram. There's a way to do that. Yeah. And it's completely free, and it should be really fun. I'm excited to just have another outlet to talk about random stuff. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure all of you will like that as well. So go sign up for that. Go read the book with us. And yeah. Well, enough business. Let's jump into the episode. Let's do it. So the topic, basically, is like textile design and women. Yeah. I guess. Is that like the best way to describe it? And I think also like the concepts between like fine art and mm-hmm. crafts. Yes. And maybe how crafts hasn't really been regarded as highly. And it's kind of because women primarily participate in those activities. And so it's kind of viewed as lesser. Yeah, which is ridiculous because it's not like it takes any less skill to create yeah. a tapestry than it does a painting. If anything, I think it's more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even like sewing, going back, it's pretty much like the concept of, oh, if it's practical and if it's like functional, is it art? Because like yeah. obviously like if someone sews a pair of pants, which is like takes incredible skill. But like, is it art versus like if they paint the picture, paint a picture, you know, Mm -hmm. that's art. Yeah. And the difference is like pants are functional and important and, you know, painting a picture isn't necessarily, it's kind of like an excess thing. Agreed. And I definitely feel like, oh, we can talk about it a little more, but like modern day 
I think there is kind of like still this distinction between like high fashion and low fashion. So even like mm. discriminating within textile design itself where they're like, oh, well, these pants because they're made by Gucci and they're like fancy yeah, like and like hand woven by blind nuns or something, you know, like their art, but like denim jeans for Levi brand or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like wait no like someone still had to create those and make those and if you think of like the cultural impact of Levi jeans it's probably way higher than anything Gucci's ever come out with you know <laughs> so. I mean that's true I mean yeah. the tricky thing with like textile industries too though is like there's like whole conversations about like oh like are the people creating the pants like is it ethical is it sustainable yeah. is it you know mm -hmm. so it's like Oh, that is a whole can of worms. But you're right. Like, I feel like it's like, oh, like name brand versus, you know, knockoff, which like mm -hmm. you wonder who like first came up with the concepts of things. But basically it's art. It's art no, yes. no matter what. <laughs> it's all art. And yeah, we're not going to go into a lot of like the production of modern textiles or anything mm -hmm. like that. That's a whole other thing. Um, There's so many directions we you can take this concept, <laughs> which Seriously? we discovered as we were doing research for it. <laughs> so we're basically going to split it off into like two different things. Sadie's going to go into like the history of yeah. textile design, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the most widely used examples of textile artists and designs with the Baja school. Perfect. So. Cool. Well, I will get started with what I was able to find here with my research. So first off, there's this really amazing article that I read. It's Textiles, the Art of Women's Work. Um, it's on sotheby's.com, S-O-T-H-E-B-Y-S.com. Cool. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Anyways. Is it, wait, isn't that like a clothing company? Is it? I literally have no idea. I don't know either, but now I'm really curious. Oh, huh. wow. You literally can like buy stuff from their site. I have no idea yeah. what it is, though. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's like an art and luxury marketplace. So oh. think of like a really, really high-end boutique. Oh, there we go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Don't mind me just like referencing an article <laughs> having no idea where it's from. I just I know assumed you're it was fine. like some blog. <laughs> no, I was just curious. That's awesome though. Oh, no, it is cool. <laughs> um, anyways though, but like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode at first, like I was like, eh, I'm kind of worried this is going to be a boring episode. But reading this article is kind of like what really got me excited about this. And so textile art so history of that it dates pretty much as far back as what like a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand years ago like it's been yeah around forever the difficult thing of course with that is it's hard to figure out the exact time period just because textiles they're fragile and so they're going to disintegrate over time they're not going to be preserved as long as other things but you know we do know that weaving and knitting sewing embroidery they're very much like they're associated with women's work throughout cultures. Like yeah. that's always what it's associated for. And what the article talks about is that it's a lot of the times because women were primarily responsible for childbearing and of course taking care of the children in, you know, in these different cultures. And so because of that, it was like they almost, it's almost like they had to have a activity like 
their portion of like work around the house, I guess, had to be something that like they could almost like stop and start really easy that didn't require so much as like complete attention, you know, that they could like put it down, take care of the children, come back, pick it up where they left off and like that wouldn't suffer. You know what I mean? That makes sense. So it like it just kind of like made sense for that to become the woman's job in those type of cultures because you know it just it it was just easier with the different roles I guess that they had so that's Mm -hmm. kind of maybe like how it started out as a you know as a woman's role is repetitive all of that but kind of assigned with that like because it is gendered and also because kind of like we mentioned that it is like so functional um, as opposed to like, you know, the higher art that's almost like just for the sake of design or for expression. It kind of like took a while for these art mediums to take hold until really more recently. And I'm sure Stani will reference this person. Um, but Annie Albers was one mm. of the most influential t- textile artists. And it was 1949 that she was the first weaver to have a solo show at the Museum of Modern Art. So the only reason I'm like briefly bringing up her is just because it's like this form of artistry has been around for so long and literally it's been the last 70 years that it's (laughs) finally like being recognized in these high art places. You know what I mean? Yeah, it even makes me think of like, because we just did Jane Austen. And, like, so many of her movies, like, the characters are, like, oh, like, I have to learn how to cross-stitch because I'm a woman. It's just, like, part of what you do. do. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. This was interesting is that, like, there's evidence that suggests that as early as the Neolithic period, which was, like, 4,000 B.C., women began to spend extra time on cloth making to add designs and embellishments. And that was, like suddenly now they were producing works that it wasn't like they were just making a pair of pants or making a jacket. It was suddenly they were, you know, taking these functional things and adding something to them that were expressions. Um, Mm. And also a very key part of textiles is it's a very key way of relaying information, specific colors, techniques, and like symbols kind of like talk about social rank. Like I'm pretty sure like purple Mm. is always associated with royalty you know and like that was always a way that that could be expressed other things that can kind of like communicate through the clothing people would wear is like even like recorded history and folk tales you know whether that's like embroidered into tapestries or like things like that do you know what this reminds me of like super randomly yeah no of course i found out like two weeks ago or something that there is a color called egyptian blue that was invented by the egyptians and the modern version we have of it now, we're not even sure if it's exact because it was such a rare, like weird color of blue that they've never been able to exactly replicate it. Weird. And the recipe was lost. Isn't that interesting? That and is And now thinking weird. about it, like it was probably women. Like they that invented was creating this whole this color. like color. Yeah. And now it's like gone. But anyway, that's just really cool. No, that I like that like thought that like it was probably women who created that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is cool. But kind of like going back to like these older cultures, like, you know, there are a lot of cultures and languages that don't have written language. And like she references like different indigenous peoples and like ethnic minority tribes in Asia. And so like these cultures honestly kind of like relied on this art medium as a way of like preserving their history. 
and yeah. as ways of like communicating these things because even though they didn't have that written history like that was like that form of self-expression that could be passed on like I mentioned like it can tell stories and things like that so it's like it always has been so crucial to like people's expressions and also preserving stories that goes beyond like what the functionality of a jacket was and you know things like that of course that's so cool I know so a little bit more history this is really interesting so in like in the medieval times in England there's a certain kind of embroidery known as opus oh opus angelicanum ugh, I believe mm. and that form of artistry was like prized around the world for like just the skill that was needed to embroider embroidery it wow. embroider it anyways however that would word that would be but the thing is so at the time it was made by my both both men and women it was pretty much like signified like the height of luxury right so it's like if you could own something like this it was a big deal right that you had this embroidery had an international reputation royal courts like it was commissioned by churches everything like that it was a really big deal then holy crap i just looked up a photo of what that is Oh, wow. Yeah, that's like amazing. Yeah, like if I were to look at that, I would never assume that was embroidery. It is so complicated. Also, like just a quick plug for embroidery. At the beginning of this year, I was like, I want to have like something that I can do artistic that's not singing, that I can literally just do for the fun of it. So I got an embroidery kit. And mm -hmm. while, I mean, the fact that it's something that I can do, I was very appreciative because visual things, I'm not very good. But I could follow a pattern and I could sew what it told me to. But it, for one, it took me so long to figure it out. I had to mm -hmm. unstitch so many times, so <laughs> much detangling of thread, and I was following a pattern. If I had to just freehand that, it would have been a disaster. And Oh, my gosh. And yeah. even me, I was like, oh, this is an art. This is like me being cute and crafty when it's like, I, I realized it's that art. I was degrading myself. And like I said, like mm -hmm. obviously I was just like following a pattern and like the people who probably created the pattern, like, you know, obviously like that's a skill that I don't have. But like I was creating something with my hands like that was for mm -hmm. beauty. Like it was beautiful. Like it was art. And yeah, looking at this, it's literally incredible what they would be able to do. I'm in awe. Like I can't even imagine when you I think know. embroidery, you do not picture this. I still like, kind of picture like little sayings or little flowers, which like not to demean it because like I think embroidery is like I love it. Obviously, it's something that I enjoy doing now. But anyways, yeah, it's literally amazing. Yeah. That's insane. Everyone go Google what it looks like. I'll also post a photo on our Instagram throughout the week. Yeah, because it's, it's holy so crap. Cool. But what was so interesting is during the Renaissance, which like usually, you know, I always associate Renaissance with like everything getting better, you know, mm -hmm. but it was during this time that the separation between like art and craft became mm -hmm. more appar apparent because this is when like hierarchy started to develop. So yeah. then there was a difference between what was seen as fine art and like kind of like masculine associations with fine art started taking hold. And then this was kind of more prized over stitching, which like I mentioned became what's the word like it became paired with women like people assumed that that was like a woman thing to do. And interesting enough that this was even accelerated even more in the 18th century with because of schools and the art world mm. becoming more of the thing 
because the Royal Academy was founded in 1768. And less than 18 months later, a rule was passed that regulated what would be admitted for exhibition and needlework was actually banned and outlawed from the realm of high art, along with shell work and artificial flowers, which was interesting. Gosh, we could do like a whole episode on like high art low art oh yeah and, like, how stupid those ideas it are. is so stupid and it's especially <laughs> when it's so manufactured like it's mm-hmm. really just like for example like here it's one school deciding in 1768 that needlework is not high art and now how how like people following in those footsteps were probably like oh well they didn't say they said it's not high art so it must not be yeah and like it set that precedence and now it's like oh that's cute you know oh your grandma likes to sew that's so sweet when it's like no your grandma's an artist who is creating amazing things <laughs> like some of the quilts my great-grandmother made like that's what crap. i was just gonna say like my grandma makes yeah. quilts and i have no no concept no idea it's amazing Mm -hmm. what they can do yeah it's incredible and really like the idea of high and low art is just so subjective Mm -hmm. just as all art is so it really is like such a stupid idea that they were like oh well women do that so So, it's inferior yeah (laughs) like it's just really stupid it really is and from here on out is when like needle work became so like it became like you mentioned with Jane Austen and like in the Jane Austen Mm -hmm. movie movies it was like pretty much just for like middle and upper class women by that 19th century like that's just what it was so there was another article that I read I want to shout it out because it was also really interesting um and that's the artificial divide between the fine art and textiles is a gendered issue and this is on a website called F-R-I-E-Z-E, Freeze, I believe. Freeze. Yes. Um, Amber Bouchart is the writer cool. of that article. I'm going to try to link all these. Yeah. Too, just so everyone They're knows. super interesting. Like, I'm just summarizing the information that was founded in all of them, but I would definitely recommend reading both of them. But anyway, so she talks about the fact that, so there was a art feminist art historian named Razika Parker and she had a book called The Subversive Stitch and one of the first studies to ever examine the marginalization of women's work kind of like in this hierarchy of art versus craft um, she said to know the history of embroidery she wrote is to know the history of women oh I love that right I loved it too at the time she was writing that this notion was being challenged by kind of like the second wave feminist artists who attempted to reclaim stitch from kind of like it's like associations with oppressions, right? Of being like, oh, you just sit inside and work on your needlework mm-hmm. and instead kind of show that it could be a use to fight the patriarchy and to give voice to previously voiceless groups. There is a it's called the dinner party and that's like an epic it's a retelling of women's history in stitched oh installation that is just dis- that it was actually dismissed as kitsch by a male critic of the new york times and we talked about that phrase kitsch that's i'm saying it right yeah. right uh-huh, uh-huh. so and when we were talking about oh crap what is her name it's not making me big eyes yes margaret king margaret king i was thinking Margot for some reason what does it mean again is it pretty much just like not high art like right it's just anything that's like considered popular to the masses okay which is a whole other thing that's stupid (laughs) yeah that's like if it's popular then therefore it's like not as good like wouldn't you think that like if you make art for everybody that's a good thing yeah it's a very stupid idea as well but yeah it's just seen as more like like almost like family friendly like 
Mm -hmm. that kind of deal. But yeah, the dinner party, I was just going to say really quick, if you have been in any art history class that focuses on anything contemporary, yeah. you've probably talked about this piece. Okay. Because it's an extremely big deal and a huge installation. It's like giant, 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 giant piece of art. And then does that just like, does it just like have different sections where it like shows what exactly is it? Yeah, here. It's a giant installation of basically like a dinner party so like a huge table mm -hmm. that's set up and then it has um different place settings for different women throughout history so oh, there's like cool. 39 and there's like embroidered runners and then she like has like different cups and utensils and then like china painted porcelain plates mm -hmm. with different motifs and then there's names of another 999 women inscribed on in gold on the tile floor below the table oh cool so it's just like this huge like feminist piece of art but yeah it has a lot it has tons of textile design but also like ceramics and sculpture and like all sorts of other things too it's insane like yeah, yeah that's that's really cool continuing on just like to make a little note so there was another like artist whose name is Raja Kabir I believe yeah every single proper mm -hmm. noun in this episode I am completely butchering so my apologies but something that she brought up is just the fact that because you know we like we immediately thought of embroidery as like older like Victorian white women, upper middle class. But she kind of talks about how it's really important to also like see it outside of just that. There's a quote from her is the notion that it's inherently about white feminism and embroidery in this Victorian white Western phenomenon. I don't resent it. I just think that it's a misconception. Politics mm -hmm. and textiles for me are intertwined. They're not separate. And you know, and just going back to what I mentioned earlier that like as far as like Native Americans, um, like indigenous yeah. people and also, you know, mentioned there's tr like tribes in Asia where this has been a very critical and crucial part of their history that has been swept under the rug. Like, you know, even like just from like America, like the Navajo tribe, I was reading an article just about their textile works and how it's started, you know, like same thing where it started as functionally. And then all of the sudden it was like, not all of the sudden, but you know, it became more and more of like an art form for people and how quickly it's like, oh, it's basket weaving. They needed to weave baskets. So it's not an art form when it's like, no, it's like, I could never do that. Like, it's literally amazing yeah. what they could do. I'm sorry, I just want to read a couple quotes here from yeah, the it. first article that I referenced. First off, a cool quote from the Annie Albers, uh, a quote from her says, along with cave paintings, threads were among the earliest transmitters of meaning, which I uh, love that quote as a as a sum summization of the things I was able to find. Obviously, we are literally touching the tip of yeah. the iceberg as, as far as the things that we could cover here. But a paragraph from that first article I mentioned is when we consider what makes something art there is a sense that it is a work that exists outside of the realm of the practical one cannot argue of course with the function of art in defining culture in being a necessary medium through which human emotions and the human condition are translated however as Albers so astutely writes who is that artist I mentioned usefulness does not prevent a thing anything from being art we must conclude then that it is the thoughtfulness and care and sensitivity in regard to form that makes a house turn into art and that is this degree of thoughtfulness care and sensi 
objectivity that we should try to attain. Culture surely is measured by art, which sets the standard of quality towards which broad production slowly moves or should move. And I thought, you know, that's just, I feel like was a good summarization of just like everything of just because it's practical doesn't mean that it can't be art because yeah. like, like I mentioned, like it's a lot of like the, in those like earlier cultures and in like indigenous cultures, like it didn't, it, it might've started out as strictly functional, but it became a way of people preserving culture, preserving history. And like, that's an amazing, beautiful thing. And so yeah. respect the textile artists. And and I, I think it's just interesting. Like, it really is so demeaning to be like, oh, arts and crafts. You know, it's like, it's not a craft. Mm. It's it's art. <laughs> yeah. It's just a different way of doing it's it. It's just a different way of doing it. It's just different mediums. Yeah. Anyways, so cool different history about textiles that I was able to find definitely link we'll link those articles they're really cool like i said like it's literally the tip of the iceberg here but anyways yeah seriously there it is we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists okay so today who i'm gonna shout out since we are talking about textiles and embroidery and all that is a an apparel and clothing shop that i found via instagram so it's dizzy dahlia's um dizzy dot day oh my gosh dizzy dot d-a-h-l-i-a-s and they pretty much create or design different crew necks sweatshirts long sleeve shirts i originally found this shop because when folklore by taylor swift came out she did really cool designs for folklore and I I wanted to buy them and I did not buy them and now I don't think they've come out back in stock and also like I'm trying to save money and it hurts me that I have not bought one yet because I love them <laughs> um she also does like space cowboy like from Casey Musgraves like I said she there's the invisible string one and the mirror ball folklore references are my favorite but she's you know done different drops she did a lover drop um, on crew necks, things like that. Like, and now she does a ton of just like fan themes things. Like she's done a couple things for now Olivia Rodrigo and, you know, oh, just cool. cool things like that. And I know she works with like a graphic designer and then I'm pretty sure like she does like the embroidery, um, you know, and like does that and creates the actual sweatshirts. So they're really cool. They're really like just fun, unique designs. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like merch for artists that don't look so much like, you know, like merch. Like you feel like you can wear it and have it yeah. be cute and like not have the artist name plastered on your shirt. So I love it. Like I said, eventually I will buy myself one of these crew necks. Also, she has um, a T-shirt that says, I want to love glitter and also stand up for the double standards that exist in our society, which is a Taylor Swift quote from the Miss Americana documentary. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And so she, and like shirts, like I want to wear pink and tell you how I feel about politics. So check her love out. That. She has like cool, just continuous drops, awesome designs, a lot of like stuff for just like said, like the fangirl type, which obviously I am a huge fan of that. Yes. And yeah, again, that's Dizzy.Dahlia, so give her a follow. Okay, I have two that I just found, but I can't pick, so I'm going to do both. Okay, so first off, it is Catherine Marchenko. 
<laughs> I'm going to spell it because it's weird. She's from Moscow. Um, K-A-T-H-R-I-N underscore M-A-R-C-H-E-N-K-O. Um, okay, this is incredible. <laughs> right? She does embroidery on tulle, which is awesome because tulle is such a like fragile fabric. I can't even That's what imagine. I was like, how would you do that? And they literally look like paintings. They do. I'm obsessed. They look like impressionist paintings. This is literally some of the coolest stuff ever. So definitely check out her account. I'm sure she sells them somewhere too. Yeah, looks like she has a website shop and has courses. So I guess if you want to learn how to do that, the options are there. That's so incredible. Holy crap. Oh my gosh, her pieces of art, just so you know, are $650 to $900. As they should um, be. They're incredible. Yeah. They're amazing. Like, at least go look at the profile. You will be floored. Yeah, I'm following them on my personal account right now. This is beautiful. Yeah, like I would take just a photo of this and I would treasure it forever. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I like can't even imagine being able to like own something like this they're stunning okay and then the second one is called saltwater stitches Mm -hmm. and it's erin asambre i think is how you say it um she's in british columbia and it's like retro fiber art and modern hand embroidery is what she says and i love her clouds (laughs) i'm obsessed (laughs) with the clouds they look so puffy and i don't know how she does it but it's so cool oh yeah i love that Mm -hmm. but it like fulfills all of my like rust orange colored dreams dreams. yes (laughs) because i love that color (laughs) i absolutely love these as well Mm -hmm. and it looks like she has a wide variety she has like even star wars ones that she's done um Ooh, i love these like pendant day and night embroidery oh, yeah that's so cool they're best friend pendants that's so cute Aww, cute so yeah love hers too like a completely different vibe but like just as talented and fun and amazing yeah oh okay i'm glad so, that you shouted yeah. them both out because incredible i know so fun so yeah so check out both of them for sure and um yeah be sure to send us any of your favorite artists especially if they're like textile ones or something we can totally expand our Mm -hmm. um reach all right now back to the show and to even more give you even more of a tip of the iceberg (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna dive briefly into the Baja school now and oh my gosh there is like So much. So probably every single art history class I've taken has touched briefly on the Bauhaus. So I'm going to go a little bit into what it was Mm -hmm. for those who don't know and then dive into why textile design relates to that at all. However, there was this really cool video that is on YouTube that everyone should go check out. It gives like a brief synopsis of the Bauhaus and then she talks about a couple of different women from the Bauhaus school. Cool. And... A few of them are not textile designers because they also had, like, photographers and, like, they didn't sculpt. They made objects, like, useful objects. 
Oh, but not always woodworking. I, I like, saw a picture on the article you had on our Google Doc of like it was literally yeah. like a lamp or a teapot or like uh-huh. something that was like metal. Work. Yes. So it's like an object maker. Yeah. I guess you could call Which, them. Like, it made I don't me know. like realize like seeing because at first I was like, that's a lamp. And then I was like, mm-hmm. someone literally had to design that lamp create that lamp and i i've never been able to do that if someone were to tell me design a lamp and make it i know Uh like uh (laughs) yeah and that was a huge part of the baja school actually they functioned kind of as like a factory slash school so they produced objects as well as art and it was like a whole different way of looking at it. But anyway, this lady gives a really, really great video. Um, it's on the UA Humanities page, but her name was Dr. Elizabeth Otto. And um, the title is Designing Women Overlooked Trailblazers of the Bajas. And she gives a great overview of the school and a lot of things about it. But kind of a fun little fact at the very beginning that she talked about that I really thought was interesting is there's actually a study by Oxford University where they had computers produce different pieces of art. I'm assuming probably modern art because it's really easy to have a computer just like make yeah. something up. And then um, they did an art show and assigned the pieces male and female sounding names hmm. and then surveyed the different audience members. And they found that the audience members, including the women, tended to think that the female naming art was less compelling than the male. Interesting. When it was all created by computer. So it has nothing to do with that. So it's just kind of like to, we've talked about this a ton, but just to throw into frame of reference again, like how deeply inherent sexism is within the arts that like we continually discredit women's art. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the main issues with textile design being so overlooked is because it's traditionally a women's art like you talked about. Mm -hmm. So... Fun little fact. So the Bajas, like I said, it was kind of a different way of doing an art school. And I actually wish more places like this exist. It's kind of seeped into everything now. Mm -hmm. But the way that they were doing it was just very interesting. It's by far the 20th century's most influential art school. Um, There was over a thousand different people that attended. So it wasn't huge... But it's, like, pretty big, all things considered, for, like, an independent art school that had a very short run. It's usually remembered for the men who came out of it. Names like Wassily Kadinsky and Paul Klee, like, really important, famous people. But it was the first time in a long time that an arts and crafts and fine arts school were combined. Like you said, they separated it a lot. This was the first time that they kind of brought it back together again. The Bajas was in Germany. And it actually happened right before World War II. So not exactly the greatest environment for a school to start, but it operated from 1919 to 1933. And they kind of just changed the way design school works in general. Like my program works the way it does because of the Bajas, even if we don't know it directly like it just kind of is everywhere now Mm -hmm. and a large part of that is because of like their art theory exercises they believed a lot more in like combining movement and like different ideas they would be like okay let's go out into the rain and then you're gonna have to paint or create or sculpt or whatever something based on how the rain feels okay 
Yeah, so it was kind of a lot of stuff like that and a lot more of different approaches. They incorporated a lot of like gymnastics and movement and stuff into their school, thinking that it was important for students to have those kind of expressions as well. So just kind of interesting. They actually got shut down twice. So like I said, it was right before World War II. So everyone was not really in the mood um, for a lot of new ideas and approaches, especially when it came to Nazi Germany. So the first time they got shut down, they moved to a different part of Germany and continued. And then the second time they got shut down was basically because the Nazis wanted to take over the school and the founders and teachers said, not a chance. And then they said, awesome, then we're going to kill all of you. And so they left and evacuated to America. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So the graduates and professors spread across the Americas, and most of the influential art programs we have were at some point touched by a member of the Bajas. So like Black Mountain College, where Annie Albers ended up with her husband, that's they founded that. Um, a lot of them ended up in like the Yale School of Art. Uh-huh. Um, another group started the new Bajas, which eventually ended up being the Chicago School of Art or something like that. So yeah, they all ended up in the United States, which is awesome because it means that all of our programs and everything got to benefit. But that is kind of the background on the Bajas. And then going into how women played a role in this. Okay, so it's kind of funny because the founder, Walter Gropius, who is actually an architect. So if you want to look up any of his work, I had to study him a lot too. He has some cool stuff. But he wrote about the ideals of the school and how he wanted there to be, this is in quotes, no distinction between the fair and the strong sex, Hmm. which was his way of trying not to be sexist. But I mean, dude, you kind of missed the point. Like so close. (laughs) So the first class of students, surprisingly, it was actually 52% women. Oh, wow. Which was a very big deal. However, the founders freaked out because they were like, there's more women in the school. They were worried about the reputation of the school, which is kind of funny because now the Bajas, like they literally could have done anything in the way that it ended up. It was like the most influential thing ever. So it didn't matter. But during that time, they were like a brand new school in the middle of like a depression in Germany, cultural turmoil, like basically on the onset of World War II. So all these founders flipped out because they're like, oh, women are going to ruin the reputation of the school. Nice. And they secretly met. And it was against the law because women were able to vote in Germany at that time. And they had to have a say in things, but basically secretly met and decided to make admission harder for women. Wow. And so they narrowed down the women's positions of the school to one third of the population and created like higher admission standards. So it was way harder to get in if you were a female and you were only guaranteed a third of the spots. Wow. Which, and that's crazy because that just like shows that like the competition, like that women were being better than because if they were doing it strictly on merit, it was majority women, which is really interesting. Yeah, exactly. So you had to be like really good (laughs) in order to get in if you were a girl, which is crazy. And then um, although women were allowed to be in all of the workshops and classes, they were often pushed into weaving. Mm. Um, And there she showed a chart. I'm going to have to post it where it showed like the breakdown between all of the different workshop classes and like the amount of women and men. Okay. And basically in the weaving workshop, 13 students were male and 128 were female. 
So weird. That just goes to show you like how many were in weaving. They definitely like outnumbered. However, the women in weaving were only a quarter of the women at the school themselves. They just were. It was the only class that they outnumbered the men in. The men. Okay. And that's initially because Gropius only admitted women into the weaving workshop, arguing that females weren't suitable for heavy manual labor work and were unable to see three-dimensionally. Nice. (laughs) He literally believed that women couldn't see in three dimensions and were better suited for two dimensions. Well, (laughs) was that the same guy who said that, like, he wanted it to be equal between the strong and fair? Uh Uh-huh. So, like like I said, (laughs) close, missed it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) just, like, two more steps and you could have been a feminist icon. Yeah. But, alas. (laughs) Yeah. Not the best maybe not a feminist icon i mean he's still a man yeah right i mean if he would have kept the 52 percent and let him be into everything probably could have. that's true <laughs> you could have paved the way for women and uh, then he failed us he backtracked what should we expect anyways yep <laughs> so he it's one of his most famous quotes he talks about it all the time that women can't see in three dimensions and so he often didn't let women into the architecture programs either because women weren't allowed to. Well, I mean, if they can't see in 3D, that would be very difficult to build a building, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, one of the painting masters also had a similar view that was very small-minded. He said, where there is wool, there is a woman who weaves, if only to pass the time. So kind nice. of that same idea of like, oh, it's a great time-passing art for women. Like, weaving's great. It keeps them busy. <laughs> However, you put a bunch of women into a high art school program without a lot of direction, and you tell them, okay, weave, and they did. Um <laughs> It's basically, they created like new ways of weaving that had never been seen before. And it actually ended up being the most financially successful department in Bajas history, which makes sense. Um, One of the women weavers' daughters, her name's Monica Stadler. She said they had the feeling that they were inventing weaving. Old weaving traditions and patterns didn't interest them. Which Hmm. is very true. They didn't have a lot of formal instruction, obviously, because all of the founders saw weaving beneath them and just shoved all the women into it. Oh, my God. And so students learned by playing with materials and bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, Annie Albers is one of the students there, which is why you mentioned she was one of the first women to ever get a show that had to do with textile Mm -hmm. design. Um, She's quoted saying, what I learned from my co-students it was a great muddle, and there was a great searching going on from all sides. But it wasn't that you went there and were taking something home from there. You were a contributor, which I thought was really cool. So it was more of like a group dynamic than I think any of the mm-hmm. other workshops allowed because they kind of all had to figure it out together. <laughs> and a lot of them were classically art trained, which meant that they kind of improvised a lot with weaving. So if they weren't allowed to be in a lot of the painting classes or other things they started viewing their looms as like a canvas and treating the thread and materials like paint. So they were basically mm. creating works of art with textiles, which created like a whole new way, like I said, of looking at things. Um, Albers actually created a new fabric that simultaneously reflected light and absorbed sound by joining pieces of cellophane and cotton, which is really interesting oh. and different, like a very cool way. It's like goes beyond art like she's an inventor yeah 
And then um, the master weaver, Gunta Stolls, became the head of the workshop. And she's actually the only woman to become a Bajas young master. She was the only one allowed to do that, which is ridiculous. So first and only, and they basically had to fight for her to be able to do it. But she was the head of the workshop and then began to help encourage um, artists to play with the materials and tools and unlock the potential that they had within weaving. They also learned a lot of different crafts that related to it, like crochet, macrame, spinning, embroidery, applique, um, painting, and spraying techniques to incorporate into their textiles. And they took what a lot of their male colleagues were doing in their classes and then helped apply mm -hmm. them into their color concepts and weaving forms, which just created this whole other thing, like I said. So it was just like this whole monumental way of looking at it. And here's a paragraph from an article I read. Together, these artists reinvented the formal and functional possibilities of thread, a pursuit that transformed both the future of textiles and of abstract art. After the Bajas shuttered, shuttered in 1933 and Albers and Ehrman relocated to the United States, they forged new communities of female artists intent on ushering textiles, a medium long dismissed and so-called women's work into the fine art canon. And that's true. Mm. Like, they went on to do a lot of art shows with it. They continued to teach new students. Gunta Stolz, like I talked about, she opened a workshop in Europe after the Bajas closed and continued to teach weaving and her techniques there. Albers and Ehrman, like I said, they ended up at progressive art schools with Albers being at Black Mountain College in North Carolina and Ehrman finding a post at the new Bajas at the Institute of Design in Chicago creating like this whole new way of looking at things and there's a ton of wow. notable women from the Bajas I'm just going to list off their names like I said they need a future episode um, but Annie Albers, Marley Ehrman, Marianne Brandt, Gertrude Arndt, Benita Koch-Oat, Odie Berger, Isle Spelling, Alma Sadoff-Busher, Margaret Heyman, Lou Skepper Birkenkamp and I'm mm -hmm. sure tons more <laughs> Tons. And tons and tons more but yeah that's kind of like the briefest history i could give you on the boss <laughs> and also uh, back to that little teapot we mentioned before um marianne brandt actually is the current record holder for the highest price paid at auction for a bajas object so not a painting mm -hmm. but out of the bajas objects her little tea extract pot that she created in 19 24 um, holds the record mm -hmm. of being the highest price paid. It was worth wow. $361,000. Wow. So, yeah. So, women made a greater impact on the Bajas than even they were willing to admit. And the textile design mm. section was by far one of the biggest deals to come out of it. Kind of like just like the fact that it's, you know, it was like literally a teapot that was like this form of art. What's that? What What was the name of that one podcast you shared on our Instagram story? Like the pending title or like... Oh, working title by... Yeah. So it made me think of that episode because she did an episode where she like talked to someone from art school mm -hmm. or like who went to art school, like one of her roommates and how like they viewed her as a commercial artist because like she wanted to like find a way to like make art like you know something like it's like design yeah. you know like she wanted to do something right am i mm -hmm. remembering right? she wanted to do something with art 
that like wasn't just like pursuing gallery and like you know creating like a statement through your art you know like almost like by wanting to have a function with her Mm -hmm. art and I just think it's so interesting that it's like even still in the art world I think there's still that barrier where it's like oh but it's only true art if you're really expressing yourself and like making a political statement or making a very like nuanced point that you're trying to communicate and like of course like obviously like I do believe that like art is an amazing medium in order to you know make statements whether that be personal political or anything but at the same time it's like you know like there is such a beauty and importance to functional Mm -hmm. art you know like even it's like with like a teapot or a lamp like somebody had to design that and know how to use the materials to create it like sure a lot of those things are mass produced right now so it's harder for us to like view them as art because it's factories it's machines Mm -hmm. you know that create it so I mean, because of that, I don't associate that with art, but it is art because somebody had to conceptualize it. it. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I have such a hard time with people talking about like working art not being as cool or as good as like art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. Because if you think back to the Renaissance, literally everything was commissioned. Like Leonardo yeah. da Vinci didn't see the Mona Lisa and go, oh, wow, I'm so inspired. What a beautiful woman he was commissioned to paint her and like yeah and like the Sistine uh chapels like he didn't even like he I don't even think he was like a huge fan of that religion at all (laughs) like I'm pretty sure if you read into Michelangelo like he painted the pope into the painting with like in hell or something (laughs) because he like hated who he was doing it for and he wasn't even a painter like Michelangelo wasn't originally a painter they told him paint the Sistine Chapel and he said okay I'll figure it out Like, the David was another commission. Like, all of them were commissioned artworks. So it's, like, stupid when people are like, oh, well, you should create art and then people will buy it. And it's, like, that's such a privileged way of looking at things. When, like, originally, the only way that artists have survived for centuries and centuries and centuries is because they made what people were willing to buy. And it's, like, this weird way of, like, shaming people for wanting to have, like, a sustainable livelihood and for demanding compensation for their it's art like, and for what they can oh produce. if you want money then you're not a true artist and it's like yeah, no I'm a human like, I have a life and like art su- supplies are freaking expensive <laughs> like yeah <laughs> and also just like the idea that like people can afford to do that it's like not everyone comes from the similar background where they maybe have generational wealth that they can mm-hmm. step back on or you know what I mean no, like exactly I don't know and like with the ending of that podcast episode, like now she works for a small record label and does all of the design for band t-shirts yes. and like coolest job ever. But like she talks about how like she didn't even really know that was an option for her as an artist because when she was in art school, the only things that were pushed to her were like these very traditional art for art sakes, art for expression mm-hmm. route when it's like, no, like, you know, it's like you can find a way for art to be functional because like you like everything around us is art and I think like I said like even just seeing that picture of that lamp it like just like kind of like retaught something to me of like that is art and everything in our lives was like started out as someone creating something yeah because someone had to think of it someone had to do it first Mm -hmm. and yeah like just because it's a craft or it's practical or it's made for income (laughs) generally yeah it doesn't mean that it's not beautiful and didn't take time and patience and talent 
and tons of like thought and expression like art is such a complicated thing and I think like over time people just keep trying to sum it up as like oh well this is art or oh well this is art mm-hmm. it's like no like kind of everything is and I get that that makes it even more complicated but in a way it's kind of freeing yeah. <laughs> it's like this weird thing where it's like people I think want to distinguish themselves as better than other people mm-hmm. and so they try and do that yeah. I don't know if that's like no the for reason sure for it, it's definitely I think thing. people want it to be hard to be an artist yeah when it's like why can't like your grandma who's like amazing at quilting like she's an artist you know Mm -hmm. what I mean the stereotypical people who would sew or do things like that or even no that is like just as much paperwork like scrapbooking and collage oh that's what I was thinking too and and because it's like they're associated with women like women's scrapbook like my mom loved to scrapbook and uh, maybe I've talked about it, but like my mom's recently started doing like visual mm-hmm. art and like learning to draw and paint. And she was like, I and she like when she started, she's like, I never knew I could do this. And I was like, Mom, I always yeah. knew like you always love to scrapbook. You always love to paint things. I'm like, and it came so naturally to you. And she was like, but that was just me doing crafts. That wasn't me being in, like that wasn't me doing I'm art. Like, it is. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, even though like maybe you were painting based off of like stencils or like things like that or you know it it is an Mm -hmm. art and like to be able to like have an eye for design and to know how things should work together to like scrapbook like I think people think of like it's almost like oh that's just something that women can do so women can all inherently do it so it's not a skill when it's like for me I as a woman have zero eye for design my scrapbooking as a child and a teenager were all horrendous and ugly because I just have never had a good eye for things Mm -hmm. like that (laughs) so but you know what I mean I think people think of like oh it's inherently feminine for women to be good at it so it's not a skill that we should praise them yeah which is a really dumb idea (laughs) yeah it's stupid it's really dumb that's like saying oh men are all inherently good at sports so let's stop paying pro athletes it's like literally (laughs) (laughs) no it's just a really interesting dynamic and I think it seeps into a lot of other things as well but it's like yeah there's just so much sexism when it comes to like types of art that are allowed or like proper or yeah esteemed and it's just such a stupid thing so stupid yeah because even graphic design like it's not considered high art it's a lot of people consider it like a cheap form of art because it's commercial and it's like okay but guess Mm -hmm. what kind of art you see every single day graphic design because no matter where you go it's there it's on every brand it's on every grocery store label you cannot hide from graphic design in today's commercial world it's everywhere you go (laughs) literally and like the same thing with music it's like there's definitely like the stereotypes of like pop music Mm -hmm. is shallow pop music is easy pop music is not as good as other music when it's like no it's different Mm -hmm. of course it's different and it maybe takes a different set of skills or a different emphasis than other forms of music but like it's it takes just as much talent and ability even if you think the lyrics are a little bit more shallow than other types of music like it's done with purpose it's done intentionally and it's still a worthy form i honestly think it's way harder to find something that appeals to everyone than to find something Mm -hmm. that appeals to like a small demographic of elite academics for (laughs) yeah because like i don't know it's way easier to just like focus on a small group of people than trying to commercialize something for the entire population (laughs) yep 
So, yeah. Also, I feel like so much of, like, what is high art now, like, was just, like, for everybody a hundred years mm-hmm. ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, like, how true that is, but I feel like I there is some it. truth to that. I have a hard time with high art because it's such a small demographic that it's, like, impossible to even, like, break the barrier on. Because, like, I don't mm-hmm. know what painters are popular in New York City right now. I'm not a part of that cool little group that gets to know. So <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Or, like, obscure indie artists. I don't know because I don't walk in those groups of people. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a whole other, mm-hmm. like, form of privilege, I think. that Like, you are a part of the group or the club. So you get to know about the people that are cool. And, like, I mean, the truth is, like, there's nuance to it. Because it's like, okay... If art is just for like, you know, like capitalist gains and just for monetary value, like what does that Mm -hmm. mean? And like, what does that, you know, like there's things to like consider and bring into the equation. But like at the end of the day, I just I just can't handle people who are like everyone likes it must be bad. It's like, no, just give me a break. (laughs) Everyone likes it. It's probably good. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Like, you might get annoyed with it. It might get overplayed. You might see it everywhere. You are fine to have your own opinion. But to write it off as bad because of that, it just, there's a few things that drive me more, make me more upset. No, I completely agree. (laughs) Well, that turned into a whole other rant. That's okay. But but good. I felt, that felt Mm -hmm. needed. Yeah, it makes me want to go learn more about textile design, even though I know I'm not good at it. Me too. I know. It's making me, like, inspired to continue on my embroidery journey and be like, I'm an artist. Like, this is another form of artistic expression. It's not just me being, having a cute little craft. Anything else we need to mention before we end this episode? I don't think so. Just, yeah. Go be more confident in whatever kind of art you're doing guys and go learn yeah. more about textile design it's actually really cool what i thought would be a potentially lame episode i learned so so much and it's like i said we literally are at the tip of the iceberg. oh yeah this is just like barely even referencing <laughs> it's mainly being like hi this exists yeah <laughs> so there's definitely so much more and i know we had her on the podcast but um hall rockefeller with less than half yeah i know she's talked quite a bit about annie albers because she did her senior dissertation on her so if oh, you want to yeah. learn more specifically about annie albers you can go check that out um and we'll link all the things we can and there's tons of books like there's just so many resources so definitely like go learn more if it interests you and if you're enjoying the podcast we sure would appreciate it if you were to share it with your favorite artist friends and leave a review that helps us grow helps us reach more people and helps us continue to do this and we love doing this and hope to be able to continue doing it yeah so we will be back again next week and have a great week (laughs) have a great week bye It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.